Thank you very much. Thank you so much, John and Rodri and all the fellowship here for your welcome and for the opportunity to be able to share something of the Word of God with you. As a ministry, we've been going something like 25 years, and throughout the whole of that period of time, we've been ministering hope and healing and restoration to the hurting and the broken across the world. When the work was established, we had no idea that God was going to take it from a little healings ministry in the northwest of England and to take it into all five continents. It is for me a, a special joy to come to South Africa because my mother was South African, born in Potchefstroom, and I feel as though whenever I'm coming here that I'm coming home to family. And... My ancestral name was De Villiers, and I think there's one or two of those still in South Africa. <laughs> one or two of them waving their arms right now. I'd like to share with you about how to overcome the enemy. In the scripture that John read during the worship time that we've just been sharing in together, he talked about lifting up our head over our enemies. And th that's the theme of what I was going to talk about. So you were spot on with your scripture choice there. And uh, I pray that I'll be spot on on what's relevant to the fellowship. And we do appreciate your trust in allowing us to speak and to teach within Choose Life. It's a wonderful fellowship. And I know many of our team at Shia House, uh, just up the road from here, are blessed by being part of this fellowship. Thank you for welcoming them and for encouraging them and supporting them. We really appreciate it. Thank you, John. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the scripture that Paul was talking about here in Timothy was not what we are familiar with in the New Testament. He was talking about the scriptures which he was brought up to understand, and the scriptures which, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, had been opened up to him in a new way since he came to know the Messiah, Jesus. And as we look at some scriptures from the Old Testament today, I want you to have in your heart that God wants to use his word to equip you to be a man of God. We have many people in churches around the world today who are still children, even though they've been going to church for decades. God is not raising up people who he wants to remain as children or teenagers, as it were, living on the milk. He wants to grow up men and women of God who are equipped to live for him in what is an increasingly hostile word to the message of the kingdom. And the word that I want to bring to you is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 5. And this is a chapter which meant quite a lot to me a number of years ago. And it means a lot more today. A number of years ago when I was wrestling with an issue, I was seeing as God was raising up many new churches who were thrilled by the presence of the Spirit of God and were really enjoying worship 
And then at the other end of the scale, there were those traditional churches who were big on the Word, but didn't seem to have much experience of the liberty of the Spirit. And yet, I knew that in both of these extremes, which probably you understand, there were important principles which are essential for becoming men and women of God. And I was trying to sort of reconcile the importance of the foundation of the Word and the importance of the liberty of the Spirit and of how both needed to come together. And I was fl flew into Australia uh, as a team and I was invited to preach at one of the four Sunday morning services. Now, when you've just flown halfway across the world and you've landed in Sydney on a Saturday evening and you're told that you're preaching the following Sunday morning, jet lag is a significant issue. And sleep is very important. And there were four of us who were teaching, who were going to preach, and we almost drew lots as to who was going to get which church. Now, I drew the lot of the Anglicans. And my brother in Christ, David Cross, got the Pentecostals. Now, the good news for him about the Pentecostals was that their morning service was 11 a.m. The bad news for me was the Holy Communion at the Anglican church was 7 a.m. And when I eventually arrived at this church and they went through the liturgy and read the scriptures. This was the scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 5, the first four, three or four verses that was actually read. And it comes in the end of the second verse describing the nature of David's character as the king, saying that you will be the shepherd of my people Israel and you will also become their ruler. And as those scripture words were read out in that Sunday morning when I was only half with it, the Spirit of God impacted me with the fact that David was to be the shepherd. He was to be the one who was to bring hope and healing to the people as the leader, but he wasn't just to be the shepherd, he also had to be one who exercised godly authority and ruling over the people. And suddenly I saw something which is very important for the body of Christ today. That we need the liberty of the Spirit to bring hope and healing to God's people, but we also need the authority of the Word of God established in our life. We need authority and we need liberty. We need freedom and we also need to recognize that there is a place for authority and God ruling over us and giving us his spirit so that we live in the liberty of the spirit of God. And this theme of shepherd and king goes throughout scripture. And in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is prophesying what the sovereign Lord would be, what the Messiah, the sovereign Lord would become. And in verse 10 it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. So he's saying that when the Messiah comes, he is actually going to be exercising godly authority. There is going to be an authority there in him. But then it goes on in the next verse, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs in his arms. So we have those two extremes of the, the authority and the rulership of a king, but we also have the tenderness of the shepherd. And we need to have both. And this theme was also illustrated practically when Jesus himself was born. 
If you remember, who were the first visitors that came to see the baby? The first ones that came were the shepherds. And who were the next ones? The kings. And the shepherds and the kings came and knelt at the feet of the baby Jesus. The kings submitted their authority to the king of kings. And the shepherds submitted to the one who would become the shepherd of Israel. He would become the good shepherd. So, we need as people of God to recognize that we all need the shepherd. But we don't need the shepherd without also giving him permission to exercise authority over our lives. And sometimes I've seen how the freedom and the liberty of the Spirit and the wanting the shepherd to heal us can sometimes be at the expense of wanting him to exercise authority over our lives. And sometimes at the other end of the scale, people are very happy to have the authority of the Word, but actually the hearts are closed off to the love of the shepherd. And we need to be balanced in our Word and Spirit, and knowing that we as people need the healing of the shepherd, but we need also the authority of the King. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And you obey one under whose authority you come. And you need love and authority. Now this was what they said of David. This is what you want, we want you to be. This is what God said David was going to be like as a king. He was going to rule with godly wisdom and authority, but he was going to be a shepherd who really cared for the people. And as David was then established, not just as king over Judah, you can read the whole story in Samuel of how David brought those two parts of the nation together and established as king over Judah and as king over Israel. It says in verse 10, he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. Now that is the powerfulness that we need to be craving. Not the powerfulness which comes through soulish ambition, which the enemy will empower with the works of darkness. But the powerfulness which comes because the Almighty God is with us. And we're going to touch into how to move in the power of God, in the presence of the Spirit of God, and through the authority that comes through understanding His authority in our lives, and through recognizing the authority of His Word. And so it says in verse 12 that David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. So David was established as king. He was established to be a shepherd, but he was established also to exercise authority. And in doing so, he became an example which was taken note of throughout the history of Israel so that when Jesus came, he would also be the shepherd and he would also be the king. And his reign, David's reign, was established for the sake of the people. And when God raises people up into prominence, and I just rejoice in what God has done here in this fellowship, in raising up this fellowship, and raising up a body of people who are prepared to stand on the Word of God and move in the liberty of the Spirit. It warms my heart, and I'm grateful to be able to be part of you here this morning. But when we are in that place where God raises us up, let us never forget that we, as I've said a couple of times this week, and has been said hundreds of times before, 
The church is the only organization in the world which exists for its non-members. We do not exist for our own benefit. We rejoice in the fellowship we have. We rejoice in what God does for us in the fellowship. But if we're not actually moving out there so that people are coming in, then eventually we will actually become a rather self-seeking club. And that, I believe, can be a curse upon churches. When we become so self-focused, we forget that we exist for the people who do not yet know him. And we are meant to be a light in the world, the salt and the light, which is proclaiming truth into a dark world. And the people see the light and they're drawn to it. And I pray that you will always remember that, that God raises us up for the sake of the people. And God put David in place for the sake of the people. Now, let's just go back in history. Here's David. He's a guy who loved the Lord since he was a very young boy. He worshipped the Lord in psalms and songs. He learned to obey the Lord when he was out looking after the sheep. He was a young man after God's own heart. And when Samuel came to anoint a son of Jesse for the next king, all his older brothers were the ones who were in line for selection. But not David. He was just a lad. But Samuel didn't have any sense that any of these high-powered young men were the ones that God was choosing. And Samuel said, is there not another one there? And Jesse said, well, there's just the boy. He's the shepherd. He's out on the hills. Go and get him. And when Samuel met David, he knew that this was the one who he was to anoint. So Samuel took the horn of oil, this is verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So from that moment on of his anointing to be a king, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And as the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, God empowered him to do many extraordinary things. One of those extraordinary things is one of the favorite stories of children from the Old Testament, the story of David and Goliath. And when David went to the battle scene and there was Goliath, parading in front of all the armies of Israel, this giant of a man. And nobody from the armies of Israel had the courage to go and face him. And there is David sort of swinging his sling and saying, what's the problem? And he takes one of these stones and using one of these stones and he'd become expert in his sling, in the defense of his sheep against wild animals, being able to propel a stone at a high speed very, very precisely. And he could see there was a weakness in Goliath's defenses in the temple part of his head. And that stone went straight on target. And David became the hero overnight. And as the head of Goliath was lifted up, the armies of Israel routed the Philistines. Now, it's always great to enter into a battle that you win. But the problem with the enemy of the people of God is that the enemies of the people of God don't forget the battles that you won. And David had won a major battle against the Philistines. He was the agent of change. 
He was the agent through which the armies of Israel had overcome the Philistines. So now, years later, we see that David is raised up. He's raised up to be the king. He's raised up to rule. He's raised up to be the shepherd. He's raised up for the sake of the people. And he's at the height of his prowess, in a sense, because God had made him powerful. And that is the point at which we see, in verse 17, the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel. Now, some of you are not going to like this message. This is the beginning of the message. When you were in your place of authority and power, the Philistines took notice. Now, the Philistines, we take as a picture, and many of the Old Testament stories are pictures of spiritual warfare, the Philistines are a picture of the powers of darkness that would attack the body of Christ today. And we learn some very important lessons about personal spiritual warfare and corporate spiritual warfare as a fellowship from the experiences that David had against the Philistines. John read about lifting up his head, David lifting up his head over his enemies. He knew the moment he was put in place of power and authority that he had enemies. Because the Philistines had not forgotten that Goliath had lost his head because of this young upstart who was now king. And the Philistines were looking to deal with David. They went up in full force to search for him. Has anyone ever felt that the enemy has come up in full force to search for you? Have you ever felt that things were getting a bit out of hand? Have you ever felt that you've been trying to walk in obedience to God, but it seems as though everything is against you? In the words of the popular phrase, all hell breaks out against you. And the powers of hell, the powers of darkness, seem to have your name and your number. David felt that the powers of darkness had his name and his number. And the first point of 12 points, anyone who's making notes or who are following this in your Bible, the first of 12 points is that when you get into the place of God's anointing and appointing, you will discover that the enemy is interested in who you are. He's actually not terribly interested in who you are and what you're doing if you're not doing what God has called you to be. Because if you're not doing what God has called you to be and to do, you're actually not much of a threat to the enemy. But when you get into that place of being what God has called you to be and doing what God has called you to do, you discover that the Philistines, the powers of darkness, are distinctly interested in your activities. And what do you do when the enemy comes? What do you do when the Philistines attack? Point number two is David inquired of the Lord. He didn't go into panic. He didn't go into desperation. He inquired of the Lord. This is an extremely important step in our dealing with the works of the enemy. And it's a step that many people forget to take. Because when they get into a place of anointing and appointing, they think, I've got it all. They think, I know what to do. And they use all their soulish wisdom or their previous experience and ride on the back of what has happened in the past in order to try and deal with today's situation. And they forget that no matter how much experience you've had in the past, no matter who you are, whether you're the king or whoever, 
that today's situation is different than yesterday's. And that we need to submit ourselves in humility to the God who understands what's going on. And we need to inquire of Him. And in humility say, God, you have put me in this place. And I see that the enemy has taken notice of who I am and of what I'm doing. God, what do you want me to do about it? And number three of these 12 points, the Lord answered him. Now that's always good news. But you know, when we truly, with a humble heart, inquire of the Lord, God rejoices to answer our cry. He is not deaf. He hears our cry. And he's not dumb that he's unable to speak. And he speaks in many different ways. He may speak through events and circumstances in your life. I often talk about the fact that when I was seeking the Lord over what he wanted me to do with my life, I was rebuilding an old car and I saw that the chassis members were bent. And I began to weep as a young man thinking, I'll never be able to rebuild this old car. And God spoke to me so clearly. He said, you could rebuild this broken car, but I can rebuild broken lives. And then he asked me a question, which is more important, broken cars or broken lives? I wanted to give God the wrong answer. (laughs) Even though I knew what the right answer was. God spoke into my life through a battered old English sports car. Now, God can do that. He can use anything. He sometimes uses extraordinary things such as a donkey. You look it up in your concordance, you'll discover. God has capacity to speak. And he speaks through circumstance. He speaks through your regular, disciplined reading of the Word of God. I meet many people who only read the bits of the Bible that they like. The ones that bring them comfort, the ones that are familiar. But actually, we need to take in the whole of the Word of God. And if you don't get it in, how can the Holy Spirit get it out? You see, when we get it in, the Spirit of God will get it out at the moment when we need it. So time and time again in my own life, I found that things have come out of my mouth and I thought, that was Scripture. How did I remember that? Well, I got it in at some time in the past and the Holy Spirit got it out. But if we don't get it in, the Spirit of God can't get it out. And we need to be a people who learn and understand about the ways of God from the Word of God. And God answers our prayers through Scripture. And He answers our prayers through revelation, through prophecy, through dreams and through visions. There's a whole range of ways through which God will speak. I haven't got time to go into all the detail of those different ways. God answered David. And this is what the Lord said to David. Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Now that's an encouraging word. David's saying, what shall I do? Shall I go and attack? And God says, yes, go. For I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. And number four, so David went. Now, you know, often God speaks and we sit still. We hear God saying something to us and we actually don't obey. And one of the most difficult issues that there are for many people, if you look back on the life, 
is that God has spoken into their lives at different parts of their life and their pilgrimage, and they have disobeyed God. They've not actually done what he's asked them to do. Now, when God speaks, he speaks so that not we are going to be entertained by hearing his word, but so that his word will lead to action. So that when God speaks into our lives, we have a responsibility to bring our will into play and to actually do what God has asked us to do. So David went, and he went to a place called Baal Perazim. Now, also during this time of worship, John, right at the end of that time of worship, talked about breakthrough. Do you remember? And in worship, you sense as though you are breaking through something in the spiritual realms. And Baal Perazim is the wings of God of breakthrough. And it was at this place of breakthrough that David defeated the Philistines. He went in obedience to what God had asked him to do. And this is how it happened. And it says, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies. Now, I love the fact that the Lord will break out against our enemies. But ask yourself a question. Why doesn't he do it without our involvement? Why doesn't he just see the Philistines coming and send the archangel Michael with his sword off, off with the heads? You know, that would be much nicer, wouldn't it, for us? But you know, we'd miss out on relationship with God. We'd miss out on learning to trust him. We'd miss out on learning to hear his voice. We'd miss out on the blessings of obedience. We'd miss out on so much of what God wants to put into our life through obedience and relationship with him. I ask the Lord what this really means about as the waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. And God gave me an illustration from a film that I watched, first of all, when I was something about 19 or 20, called The Dam Busters. Anybody here seen the film The Dam Busters? Quite a lot of you have. Very briefly, for those who have not seen it, during the Second World War, the industrial part of Germany was, got its electricity from hydroelectric power stations associated with high dams where the water would produce the electricity as it dropped through gravity through the dam. And those dams were very strategic for the German war machine. And one man called Barnes Wallace, who is an extraordinary engineer, I had the privilege of having dinner with him when I was at university, and he told me personally all the things that had happened in the story of the dam busters. And he designed a special bomb. Now, it was almost impossible to be able to bomb these dams. And he designed what they call a bouncing bomb, where a plane would come very, very low over the surface of the water, and it would drop this bomb, which would bounce on the surface of the water until it got to the wall of the dam at exactly the right spot. And it hit the dam wall, and then it sunk into the water, deep behind the wall of the dam, and we had depth charge, then blew it up when it had gone some 50 or 60 feet below the water. Now, the bomb itself was a very small bomb. The bomb itself had no capacity to destroy all the factories which were in the valleys below, which were making the armaments which, which fueled the German war machine. That one bomb had no capacity whatsoever to deal with all these things. But what that bomb did, and the final bomb was successful, it hit the wall, sunk beneath the dam, and blew a hole in the wall of the dam. 
It was a small bomb that blew a hole in the wall of the dam, but then the waters broke out. And the waters did the damage. It wasn't the bomb that did the damage, it was the waters that did the damage. Now, what is the equivalent of the small bomb in our pilgrimage before God? What is the equivalent of that small bomb which will get the waters of God to break out for us against our enemies? It's very simple. It's obedience. The bomb of obedience. When we do what God has asked us to do, we will discover that that obedience unleashes the armies of heaven against the powers of darkness. When we do what God has asked us to do, it unleashes the waters on our side against the powers of darkness. That one small bomb unleashed the waters. And this is what David didn't know anything about the dam busters, but this is what David was saying. As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies. Point number six. The Philistines were defeated. And the Philistines had defended, depended on false gods. And they'd taken their idols to war. And when they fled, they left their idols behind. And David's forces gathered up the idols. And in Chronicles it tells us that David burnt them. The works of the enemy need to be destroyed in our lives. We may have in our possession things that are ungodly. Those idols, many of them might have been quite valuable. I actually once prayed with a, with a man who brought a valuable artifact back from overseas, which was part of the worship facilities of a temple. And in his home he had this as an antique decoration. But you know, that brought cursing on his life, and it wasn't until it was burnt and destroyed that the family's health had changed. He was under curse because he had the idols of the enemy in his home. And if we have anything in our homes which is to do with false religions, idolatry, new age, occultism, going into idolatry of sexuality and pornography and things like that, and they have those in our home, they attract the enemy. Why would we want to have in our home things that Satan rejoices in? If we have those things in our home, they will become destructive to our spiritual life, our relationship with God, become destructive to our relationships with each other, destructive to our whole fellowship with other people in the body of Christ. I once taught on this in a church in Taiwan, a huge church, and the people said, the leaders said, well, all our people, they've all been well trained, that they know about these things, but God was saying, my spirit, you need to teach on this. And I did, and I said, in the following morning, we're going to take up an occult offering. Bring in everything you have in your home that is not of God. And you know that shouldn't be there. And the following morning, the pastors were in total shock. Because when the people arrived, they arrived with all sorts of things, in carrier bags and under their coats, things that were hiding, there were Buddhas sticking out of their pockets, there were also do Tai Chi, all sorts of other horrible things to do with Eastern religions and false gods and pornography and stuff. And it all came. And you know, on that day, I've got an amazing picture in my collection of 18 huge black rubbish sacks of junk. And around these 18 black rubbish sacks are all the pastors with brand new hammers, which one of the younger pastors have been sent out to buy, and they're smashing all these stuff. They were destroying the works of the enemy. 
And I would encourage you, in your, just when you go back home today, just look around your home. Is there anything in my home which is going to attract the powers of darkness? Because if you're giving it place, you're giving the powers of darkness a place in your home. I must move on quickly. The next point, number seven, is one that I don't like. You know, when, when you've had a great victory over the enemy, you think, oh, at last. You know, Scripture talks about the enemy will depart for a season. And people often ask me, well, how long is a season? And my answer is always, not long enough. Because verse 22, point number 7, says that once more the Philistines came up. You think that they'd had enough? They'd lost Goliath. They'd now been defeated at Baal Perazim. And they think, well, they're not going to come near David again. But the enemy's not like that, you know. Have any of you had a great victory over this enemy in your walk with God and then discovered that he never came again to tempt you? He comes again, doesn't he? And it seems as though that that thing to which you're particularly vulnerable, he knows all about it. And he comes again once more, the Philistines came. Don't be complacent about the enemy's attacks in your life. Complacency will give the enemy opportunity. We must not be complacent. We've got to raise up the defenses of our personal lives and our corporate lives, our family lives, against the works of darkness. Once more, the Philistines came up. And that's point number seven. Point number eight. Did David depend on what had happened last time and he'd overcome the Philistines? No, he didn't. Point number eight. Once again, he went and he inquired of the Lord. He didn't presume that because he'd had a great victory that he could use the same tactics again. And God gave him completely different tactics. God spoke to him clearly and said, do not go straight to up against the Philistines, but circle around them and attack them in front of the mulberry trees. This is point number nine. God answered his prayer again. And when he answered his prayer, he gave him a different strategy. We need to be constantly aware of the fact there are things we've learned in the past that we can apply, but we need to constantly inquire of the Lord and say, do you want me to use the experience I've already had, or have you got something else for me to do? And he inquired of the Lord again. So once more the Philistines came, and once more David inquired of the Lord. And so David was obedient to what the Lord has said. And instead of going straight up against the Philistines, they did a circuitous maneuver and came up behind them in a place where the Philistines were not expecting to be attacked. And point number ten is that God gave them a sign. He said, I want you to go up behind the Philistines and I want you to wait. You know, often in warfare, timing is absolutely critical. The strategy of battle is often related to the timing of the attacks. And God said to them, this is what he said, as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you. Now point number 10 is the Lord gave them a sign. You wait there. Now, the mulberry trees are a special type of tree, and when the breeze 
goes to the tops of the trees, the leaves sound like distant marching. You hear the rustle of the leaves. There was a song that came out in the 70s. You hear the sound of rustling in the leaves of the trees. Some of you may be old enough to remember it. Based on this verse. Wonderful song about being ready as a people prepared. When God gives us instruction, we need to obey him to the letter. And the detail of this instruction was, go and position yourself, and then wait for God to give you the instruction to act. It is critical as a body of Christ that we position ourselves correctly according to the strategy of God. We need to be equipped as men and women of God. We need to know what their standing orders are for the body of Christ. And we need to know how to walk in those things and to obey them. And then we're in a place where we're obeying the standing orders. We are positioning ourselves so that when God speaks, we're ready to act. And this is what David did. He positioned himself correctly. But then he waited for that breeze for that breeze to rustle the leaves of the trees. And it sounded like the distant marching. And as he heard that sound, he knew, number 11, that the Lord had gone out in front of him. And the Lord had gone out in front of him to strike the Philistine army. Now, this is a wonderfully encouraging word. God went out in front of David. Now, When we know that he's gone out ahead of us, all we have to do is put our feet in his footsteps. And that is the wisdom of guidance that comes from God. That he will go out ahead of us and he will show us the way to go. And when we obey what he said, we'll discover he's gone ahead and all we have to do is put our feet in his footprints. And the Philistines were overwhelmed. And point number 12, so David did as the Lord commanded him. And, as he, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Giza. Very simple lessons out of these extraordinary days that David lived through. He listened for the voice of God. And when God spoke, he obeyed what God had told him to do. Then God said, I will give you a sign. And when you hear that sign, when you see that sign, you can then go because I am going out ahead of you. My prayer for you as a fellowship, as it is for LO Ministries and wherever our centers have been established in different parts of the world, is that we will look for the signs of God's presence and look for the guidance that he gives and then put our feet down in the place where he has already gone and discover that in his strength we're able to overcome the Philistines. Let us never be so complacent as thinking that the enemy won't attack us. Because you're in a place of obedience and a place of anointing of the Spirit of God, you will discover that the Philistines will take notice of who you are. And if you overcome them once, don't be complacent and think that now we've overcome the enemy, now we can relax. Because once more, the Philistines came. And when the Philistines came again, God gave them a different strategy. We mustn't ever depend on our own understanding and be wise in our own eyes. 
we need to listen to the voice of God every time these things happen. So that when we hear the voice of God afresh, it will be that which God wants us to do today. He's hot off the presses of heaven. And when we go where he has already told us to go and discover that he's gone out ahead of us, we will find ourselves in the place of victory. And God will lift up our head against our enemies. But if we disobey God, we lose the advantage. We need to be in that place of advantage to the body of Christ. And that's the place where, when we're in Him, we will be. And Father, I ask this morning that as we've looked at this very simple Bible study about overcoming the Philistines, that you will help us, Lord, personally and corporately to apply these truths so that we will always inquire of you when things get tough. When we sense the enemy at work, we won't just presume upon our own understanding. We won't try and do it our way. We will listen to your voice. And we will wait, Lord, to hear what you're saying. And help us, Lord, then to watch for the signs that you give. So that, Lord, when we move forward, it will be into the plans that you prepared and you will have gone ahead of us. And Lord, then we can anticipate great victory for your people in overcoming the powers of darkness and establishing kingdom authority, establishing the reign of the king and also the good shepherd as a minister to those in need. And in so doing, we will pull down the strongholds of the enemy and see the King of Kings lifted up. Praise His holy name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just stand here for a second. Please don't leave right now. I just feel to do something in response to what Brother Peter Horribin has shared. This aspect of looking for anything in your house that may need to be removed from your house. I'm going to take a little step of faith and ask that next Sunday that we actually bring anything here to the church that needs to be destroyed, okay? And the reason why I asked you to stay, would you mention just the types of things? Give us a few examples, if, if you would, regarding things that can cause a hindrance spiritually in people's homes. Would you do that for a moment, please? Sure. There may be things to do with false religions. You may have books about Buddhism. You may have little statues to things which have come from witchcraft. And there's many things in Africa which have origins which are very ungodly. You may have things in your home which are books which are wholly unclean. There may be pornography. You may have videos. You may have CDs of worship which is... And when I say CDs of worship, I mean some of the heavy metal, Black Sabbath sort of music, that is worship of the enemy. You listen to the lyrics, they're all about worshipping of the enemy. Many, much of that sort of uh, pop music of that ilk is very ungodly. We have those things in our home. We're giving the enemy opportunity. We play that sort of music and we're actually lifting up the enemy in our homes. So there are many sort of things that we might have. Everything to do with the occult, 
Freemasonry is something tremendously powerful, and it's ungodly. I remember a man and a woman who, whose marriage was falling apart, and they couldn't understand why. And they said every time we went to our bedroom, it seemed as though we were always having rows. And cutting a long story short, he had kept his father's Freemasonry regalia. He didn't want it particularly, but he didn't want to throw it away. And do you know where he put it? In the roof, in the attic. And you know where it was stored? Right above the marital bed. And when he got rid of it and destroyed it and burnt it, the things changed. The whole marriage was restored. Satan curses our lives, our relationships with things that are of the enemy. So the things that you know in your home, which are do with witchcraft, occult, new age, false religions, statues, things that you've brought back, jewelry, African masks, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, there was a, a, I prayed with a pastor back in the UK who'd actually worked in West Africa. And when he came back from West Africa, he brought with him a whole lot of hideous stuff. And he had it in his home. And when I was involved in praying for him, he was descending into Alzheimer's. And the, the, the whole of his life had been dominated by this. I remember one lady went to a voodoo uh, ceremony. And when she came back from the voodoo ceremony, she was actually pensioned out of mission service because she had been involved on the enemy's ground. And we may not have artifacts, but this place we've been to in the past, the enemy knows where our footprints have been. And he says, I want to cleanse your past so that 